the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. So in your evening services, you're looking at um, the book of Proverbs, True Wisdom in Proverbs. I think if you've been filling or following this series, you've probably noticed or you listened to the first two talks that chapters one to nine is a kind of long exposition on, on what wisdom is, on how wisdom works. It's as if it's telling us that God has built reality to work in a certain way. And wisdom is living in that way, living with the grain of how God has created things to work. But then when you reach chapter 10 of Proverbs, it kind of goes into to Twitter mode or X mode or whatever you, you call that platform. And you sort of get one proverb after another and it all seems a bit of a jumble. We were just talking about it before the service. And it's as if the proverbs, they don't fit together. There's no theme. It's as if the, the preacher dropped his notes and he's scrambling to pick them up and he's just coming out with one proverb after another. They're out of sequence. And I did ask somebody down in Exmouth in the chapel, like, why is that? What's going on? And they gave the, the, the rather simple but I think profound answer. And they said, well, isn't day-to-day life like that? Don't we need all different types of wisdom every day? So you don't want all, all the wisdom on friendship on a Monday. And you don't want all the wisdom on how to deal with money on a Tuesday. You need all the different types of wisdom every day. And I think that's why um, a lot of people read Proverbs, one chapter of Proverbs each day. They cover the month, then they start again and they go back over it. Because it's got lots of wisdom that we need for daily, daily life. And you've had sort of two introductory sermons, I think, talks. And so tonight, I want to do something different. I want to go for a different approach. And I'm going to trace one theme through Proverbs and hopefully broaden it out and get to the cross. And I've chosen, I, I, I could have chosen sexual temptation. We could have looked at that tonight. Or pride or friendship, or, or I do enjoy the sluggard, you know, consider the ant you sluggard work. But I decided to go for anger, because somebody did say you're a very angry church. I, no, you, you, nobody said that. <laughs> nobody said that. So I'm going to do anger and patience, or, or anger and slowed anger. And I've got four things to say, and I'll try, I'll do my best to get through it all. And the first thing that I want to say is that anger is a good thing but it's easily distorted. Anger is a good thing, but it's easily distorted. The Bible doesn't say, don't be angry. It says, in your anger, do not sin. The ESV is a bit more direct. It says, be angry and do not sin. So angry in and of itself isn't wrong. And there are many passages in the Bible that speaks of of God as angry. You have that classic passage in Exodus 34 where Moses asks to see the glory of the Lord and the Lord hides him in a rock. And it says, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slew to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. 
And he goes on to speak about his forgiveness. It's a classic passage of who God is. It's a key description of who God is. And it comes up again and again in the Old Testament. And it says the Lord is slow to anger. So he will be angry. But he's slow to do it. Or think of Jesus. Jesus got angry. You've got the familiar episode. Jesus clearing the temple. He was angry. In Mark 3, Jesus is in the synagogue. There's a man with a withered hand. And and Jesus looked at the Pharisees. He looked at them, it says, in anger, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Angry at their stubborn hearts and their distorted theology. Or was interested at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. Jesus is deeply moved and troubled, not just because of grief, but also in anger. One of the Greek words refers to the the snorting of horses. And D.A. Carson comments, sin and death prompted both outrage and grief. And the book of Proverbs picks that up. Proverbs 14, 29, I think they're all going to be up there so you don't have to go flicking. It says, whoever is patient or whoever is slow to anger has great understanding but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. Patience doesn't mean never getting angry. It means slow to get angry. Patience is anger with a high threshold. So anger in and of itself is not a bad thing. And if we're to image God, if we're to be his image bearers here, then we need to get in line with what he's angry about. But I suspect that our problem is getting angry at things that are less significant. I'm far more likely to get angry at being ignored or someone cutting me up. It just so happens that, do you know that terrible roundabout in Exeter that has 20 lanes and you choose one? And yeah, I was cut up and I, 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 I thought I'm going to do a talk on anger. I can't shout at him. But I think our issue is, is more we get angry at those sorts of things instead of unjust crime, serious crime or sin. And that's where Proverbs focuses its attention on hasty anger and hot anger. Anger that is too quick, anger that is too much. So it talks about hasty anger. There's three verses there for hasty anger, Proverbs 12. Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. Proverbs 14, 17, a quick-tempered person does foolish things, and the one who devises evil schemes is hated. Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. And in Proverbs, there's a clear connection between a quick temper and foolishness. It says to be quick-tempered is folly. Jerry Bridges, I don't know if you've read Jerry Bridges. I think he's dead now, Jerry Bridges, but all his books are worth reading. He's got one book called Respectable Sins. And in that book, he gives a lot of space to anger, and especially quick anger, hasty anger, irritability. And he describes it like this. He says, Irritability is how easy we become angry or impatient. 
over the slightest provocation. It might not come out in breaking the china or slamming the door. Perhaps it's the silent treatment. That's my favorite. Or the withdrawn anger. But anger quickly rises. We're easily provoked, easily irritated. Paul Miller, another author, good to read. He, he says this, his, his dad was, was a pastor and he, he said, his dad always used to say about Christians, we're all nerve endings. We're all irritable. But it's not God's way. Imagine if God was quick to anger. Imagine if he was irritable, permanently fed up with us. I read about Steve. Steve was a, he was a massive baseball fan and he was watching his favorite team. And you all know if, if, the, if the guy hits the ball and you catch it, you keep the ball. That's the, that's the glory of baseball. It seems you get to keep the ball and it becomes your treasured possession and you, you mount it and you put it wherever you want to do. But Steve gave his, he caught the ball and he gave it to his four-year-old daughter sitting beside him. The treasured possession. And he says, I was so proud to catch it and give it to her. And she tossed it back. <laughs> but what did Steve do? He picked her up and he cuddled her nonetheless. He just hugged her. And God constantly gives us the ball. Endless gifts. And at times we just chuck them back at him. And yet God isn't angry. He's not irritable. He's long-suffering. He's slow to anger. But are we? Hasty anger. What about hot anger? Another three verses. Anger that is too strong, too much. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. A hot-tempered person must pay the penalty, rescue them, and you will have to do it again. An angry person stirs up conflict and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. Too much anger, hot anger. It might come out in, in words. It might be we, you tend to humiliate the other person. Or you think of a family and a child and, and children, that they know how to push your buttons. And they know how to not to listen and, and they don't listen and they just keep on not listening and it builds up and it builds up and it builds up and then you take out a whole heap of things on them just for one thing. It's hot anger. Too much. Yes, we're to discipline but not destroy children. Or maybe this hot anger can be expressed as impatience. You know, it's the customer service people on the phone. You just, yeah, what is it about them? The tone of their voice. Or a song that you sang this morning, you just don't like it and you exploded, you sounded off. Completely out of proportion. Sometimes hot anger comes out in sarcastic put-downs or silent looks. Too hasty, too hot. And Proverbs, part of it is to expose that anger. Anger is good, but it's easily distorted. And then secondly, anger is a dangerous thing and it's easily harmful. And here Proverbs opens it up further. And anger is a real danger to community. It's a real danger to church. 
It says a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. An angry person stirs up conflict, and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. Underneath a lot of conflict, underneath a lot of ongoing arguments, serious disagreements, church splits, is anger. Anger that I didn't get what I wanted. Anger that I didn't get what I thought I deserved. And the result is everyone else has to pay for it. Perhaps angry because I was really hurt in the past and I'm not able to move on. Perhaps justifiable anger, but we've dealt with it in a, in a wrong way, an ungodly way. There was a, a lady called Carissa Smith, uh, and she took her two-year-old to the library. And the two-year-old was babbling away, as two-year-olds do, as Carissa was um, looking at browsing the books. And an old man said, tell the kid to shut up, or I will. Carissa responded, I'm very sorry for whatever life has caused you. I thought that was quite brave. For whatever life has caused you to be disturbed by a happy child. And she braced herself for the comeback. And instead of the man apologizing, they got, they got talking. He did apologize later. They got talking. It turned out he had a son who died when he was two. But he never dealt with the anger. As a result, his marriage failed and he became increasingly isolated, increasingly bitter. When anger lingers, it destroys community, destroys church, destroys relationship. And it takes someone who's courageous, who's gentle and loving to move towards that. But also anger spreads. Anger spreads. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. I always thought, put your hand up if you're hot-tempered. Don't be their friend. I thought that would have been a good application. Obviously not. (laughs) That didn't work. No jokes. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Anger breeds anger in others. Here is someone in Proverbs 22, someone captive to anger. This is the, the man or woman who's hard, who's harsh. And when you associate with that person, Proverbs says, wisdom says, it'll seep into you. You'll join them, you'll become like them. So don't be friends with them. Also, there's a danger to ourselves. An angry person stirs up conflict and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. Anger leads to many sins. You all know the the theologian. I'm not sure this one's from the, the early church fathers. It's Yoda. He once said, fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Proverbs would say, anger leads to all other sins. How do you take out your anger? Some people do it by eating, drinking, pornography, violent words, 
sending that devastating text or maybe that self-pitying text. Or perhaps they take out their anger just by being that constant critical spirit. Or they're just not willing to engage with others. They're reluctant to serve. Again, anger can dominate us. It can blind us. And you can end up committing many sins. Proverbs also says anger is addictive. It's addictive. A hot-tempered person must pay the penalty. Rescue them. And you will have to do it again. I've added in Ecclesiastes there, be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the hearts, the heart of fools. It's one thing, I think, to to wrestle with short-term anger, that occasional outburst. But sometimes anger becomes resentment and then bitterness, then long-term grudges, and then you're locked into it. I think long-term grudges is what I'm particularly good at. I have a, a long memory for holding grudges. And Proverbs is saying, keep short accounts. Keep short accounts with God. Keep short accounts with each other. We all know an angry person when we, when we see them. Sometimes our, our self-justification is, I was hurt, I was treated unfairly. And we hold on to it and we don't let it go. We refuse to forgive. And we might say that, you know, it doesn't bother me anymore, but really it does bother me. And it's toxic to ourselves and others. Thirdly, it does get more positive. Thirdly, anger is a deep thing and easily misunderstood. Anger is a deep thing and easily misunderstood. What do you tend to blame when you get angry? The situation, your circumstances, the pressure, tiredness, just the way I am. I'm an angry person. My genes, past, a significant trauma, hurt by churches. And I think all of those can contribute to it, but ultimately, it's what lies in our hearts. It's Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. It's the heart that ultimately determines our response. And we have to see that our ungodly anger, whether it's hasty or whether it's hot, or anger that we hold on to and never deal with, it reveals something misplaced in our hearts. There's something up in our hearts. Tim Keller, he was helpful in this. He says, we get angry when something we love is threatened. And that might be a good thing. But ungodly anger comes when we are loving something too much. So perhaps your your significance comes from never making a mistake. 
and then somebody criticizes you, criticizes you, and it's devastating, and it makes you angry. Or perhaps your significance is, is having children that are well brought up, so that I'm seen as a good parent. So when the kid doesn't do what you want it to do, or you expect them to do, you just blow up, because your significance is attached to the children. Or perhaps it's the sense of entitlement that leads you to being ang- angry. So there you are, you've, you've worked hard all day, you've labored, you're tired, you come home and your slippers aren't there. You know, your food's not on the table and you're given a list of jobs to do. And you do them, but muttering under your breath. And you could multiply the applications. And to tackle anger, you have to get to the roots. I don't know if you're someone who enjoys pulling up weeds. I know Paul Winfield does. If you have weeds in your garden, he will happily pull up your weeds. I'm not a fan. But I do know when it comes to weeds, you need to pull up the roots. You need to get the roots. And the anger that comes when our comfort or our control or our security or our significance is threatened comes because I want everything on my terms. I want life my way. I want to be in charge. I want to be the sovereign one and not God. When you peel it all away, when you get to the heart, that's the issue. Yes, there's a good anger that reflects God and we have to learn to to find out what those things are but I think I'm safe in saying that much of my anger much of your anger is wrong anger and it comes because we resist God and we say God that's wrong I deserve better than that and when we pull back the layers of how anger comes out Our ungodly anger is ultimately against God with what he's done or with what he's not done or he hasn't lived up to my expectations in that area. So anger is good, but it's easily distorted. Anger is dangerous, but it's easily harmful. Anger is deep and it's easily misunderstood. And I need help here because I, yeah, I couldn't work out my fourth point to make it continue in that beautiful way the fourth point is we need help don't we the gospel changes angry people the gospel changes angry people when you read proverbs you have to you have to come to christ when you read proverbs or you'll get into a pickle you'll get stuck and we have to go to christ There is hope for frustrated people who lack patience, angry people. And there's two big bucket loads of hope that I want to talk about very briefly. And the first is this, that Jesus takes anger for us. Jesus takes anger for us. We get angry with God. The Bible tells us that he gets angry rightly with us and our ungodly anger 
brings his godly anger against us. And things could have stopped there. He could have condemned us. He could have punished us justly, rightly. But he's not done that. Instead, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to experience the full, ugly depth of our anger, to take upon himself our anger. And where does that anger lead? It takes the Son of God to the cross itself. And that's the horror of our anger. That's what Jesus had to do to deal with our anger. But it's also the moment when the anger of God is seen. Because at the cross, the anger of a holy God doesn't consume us because of our sin. It's placed on the sun. Because he takes our imperfect remarks. He takes our angry outbursts. He takes our hard hearts. And he says, I'll take it. I'll deal with it. And on the cross, he experiences God's anger against the sin of his people. And every drop of God's holy, just anger is poured out onto the sun. And so tonight, there is forgiveness. Forgiveness for you, forgiveness for me. There's a new beginning. We're new creations in Christ. We're linked to Christ. We have Christ dwelling in us by the Holy Spirit. And the first application is, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you feel the release of that? The joy of that? You've seen the ugliness of our hearts. But there's forgiveness for that. And Jesus takes it. And he deals with it. The second bit I want to say. The second big bucket of hope that we have as Christians. Is then the gospel liberates us. To be patient. The gospel liberates us to be slow to anger. It is difficult when we're provoked. It's difficult when we're sinned against. But tonight, we are people who are soaked in the gospel. We're forgiven. New creations. And if God has forgiven us with such generosity, and if he has made us new people, And if he has enabled us to have new hearts and the spirit of God dwelling in us, then we can be slow to anger. We can be patient. We can forgive those who sin against us. And we've got to talk to ourselves again and again. And we're not to say how badly I've been treated. How dare that happen to me? We've got to say, how good is God to me? That he would take all the darkness of my life and freely forgive me. And so then we're liberated to respond and not fight back. And we don't have to withdraw into a corner and say nothing, my favorite thing. 
but we can give a gentle answer that turns away anger. We can forgive. We can then become a peacemaker rather than stir up a quarrel. Proverbs 19, it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Last time I was here, you all had to rush off to watch France in the World Cup. So I just thought I would, Ireland didn't do well in the World Cup, so let's come back again. Six nations. There's really only one team going for glory. We, we, we acknowledge that. Ireland, top of the group. We've got Wales next. We all watched South Africa go for glory in the Rugby World Cup. I'm not sure how they did it. I don't know if you're a tennis fan. Was it Alcaraz? Was it Alcaraz won Wimbledon? I don't even know. I'm not interested. Was it Vin- Vinegard? Where's Clive? Jonas, did he win the tour? In May, we'll see Liverpool lift the premiership. Going for glory. In heaven, what does God focus on? What does he draw the attention of the angels to? It's the Christian who is patient and gentle. That's glory. That's beauty. That's true wisdom. That's becoming like Jesus. Becoming like the Father. Let's pray.